0: Let's start with a quick summary of each episode. Part one, we talked about the Oprichniki, Russia's OG secret police who rode black horses and wore all black clothing, reminiscent of the School. They served Tsar Ivan the Terrible who ruled the Grand Duchy of Muscovy from 1533 to 1547. Ivan established the Oprichnina, a governing body within the government, to persecute the wealthy boyars and others who dared challenge his rule. The Oprichniki were Ivan's brutal enforcers who tortured and brutalized their victims on behalf of the Tsar. Part two, we explored some of the Russian secret police after the Oprichniki. Following the death of Ivan the Terrible, his immediate successor, Fyodor I was unfit for office, and Ivan's half-brother, a young boy who would have been the rightful heir to the throne, was maybe killed by Boris Gudunov. If Gudunov had a secret police, they were not named in sources. Secret police appeared dormant in Russia until about the time of Peter the Great's Preobrazhensky office. We paid special attention to the third section, the state security appara- apparatus commissioned in 1826 by Tsar Nicholas I. The third section was tasked with keeping tabs on foreign visitors and Russians traveling abroad. The main course of this episode was the Okhrana, established in 1881 by Tsar Alexander II. The Okhrana utilized agent provocateurs, fake organizations, and arbitrary arrests to root out anti-Tsarist and anarchist groups in Russia's urban centers. We saw some of their agents enrich themselves by actively aiding anarchist groups, then having them busted by the Okhrana. Part 3. Following the 1917 revolution, with the Bolsheviks firmly in power, Vladimir Lenin formed the first Soviet secret police called the Cheka. Led by Felix Dzerzhinsky, the Cheka rooted out, imprisoned, and murdered remnants of Russia's bourgeoisie or czarist loyalists. They also executed the Romanov family. The Cheka's methods rivaled those of the Oprichniki, which honestly surprised me. Parts 4 and 5 were a deep dive on the NKVD. We talked about Stalin's origins, his work in the Communist Party, and his rise to power. Before the NKVD, we talked about a bit about the GPU and the OGPU, two successor secret police to the Cheka. The NKVD was led by Genrik Yagoda, Nikolai Yezhov, and the infamous Lavrenty Beria, each of which was shot. NKVD troops fought in World War II and had a direct hand in obtaining the technical know-how to build the Soviet's first nuclear bomb. Parts 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Each of these episodes focused on the KGB. In part 6, we looked at Khrushchev's rise to power, de-Stalinization, and the KGB in their early Cold War years. Part 7 was a deep dive into KGB spycraft and methods such as controlling foreign news outlets, involvement in communist groups in Angola, Cuba, and to a lesser extent, Japan. In part 8, we explored the KGB's role in the Cuban Missile Crisis and Khrushchev's removal from power. In Part 9, we learned about the life of Leonid Brezhnev and his rise to power, as well as the KGB's conduct in the 1970s and 80s. I think the highlight of that episode was the assassination of uh, Georgi Markov via an umbrella specifically designed to deliver a dose of ricin. Technically, this wasn't carried out by the KGB, but likely had their support. Part 10 was the end of the KGB and the Soviet Union under Mikhail Gorbachev, the Chernobyl incident, and the final coup attempt. Part 11 focused on Boris Yeltsin's and Vladimir Putin's origins and both their climbs to power in the new Russian Federation trying to nurse the Soviet hangover. We got into the details about Russia's voucher privatization program, conflict with Chechnya, and the formation of the new Federal Security Services, the FSK and the FSB. We covered about 450 years of Russian history. I wrote over 300 pages of script and recorded about 18 hours of content. You could start this series on a flight from LA to Sydney and have three hours left by the time you land. I didn't even calculate how long it takes me to put one of these bad boys together. I think when I estimated once, it was about 80 hours per episode, and I don't dedicate all my time to this. I wish I did, but I don't. No wonder it took me a year plus change to tell this story. We had bonus content too. One episode on the Thought Police from George Orwell's novel 1984, and an interview with Alex von Sternberg from History Impossible. Which episode was my favorite to make? Probably the first one. It was a new adventure. I love history and feeling like I'm being transported to another time and place, learning about people's environments and what shaped them. Writing about it makes it come to life for me. Which is my favorite episode? Probably the Okrana one, because it's honestly such an obscure topic and I had fun with the audio on that one. Let's go over some things that I think I missed. So Tchaikovsky wrote a whole opera called Oprichnik completed in 1872, Told in four acts, the opera tells of Ivan the Terrible's court of the Oprichnina. Let's see, there were other secret police in the czar- in Tsarist Russia before the Okrana. I mentioned the Preobrazhensky office. There was also a secret chancellery that shared some of the duties with the Prio office. Tsarina Anna I established the chancellery of secret investigations, and Peter III started the secret bureau, which Alexander I utilized in his fight against Napoleon. The hammer and sickle symbol used by the Communist Party represented unification between proletariat, industrial, and agricultural workers. The hammer for industrial workers and the sickle for agrarian workers. Vladimir Lenin maybe had a love triangle with his wife Nadezhda Krupskaya and French Bolshevikess Inessa Armand. There are accounts that this was an amiable arrangement rather than an extramarital affair. Nadezhda may have been okay with this, but it's impossible to know for sure. We never discussed the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO. Unfortunately, with the sheer amount of information, NATO was mentioned but never explored further, and I think we're going to have to do this in the future. NATO's role in the Cold War and now would paint a broader picture of what, how, and why the KGB and the FSB reacted, to, reacted in terms of uh, their role in counterintelligence. NATO formed on April 4th, 1949. It is a collective security apparatus that was first intended to check the power of the Soviet Union. Later, the Soviet-aligned nations formed the Warsaw Pact. Since its inception, several nations have joined or applied to join NATO to Russia's discontent. There is a lot to unpack, with NATO, uh, honestly, too much to do in this episode. I want to keep this short. So we will have to revisit this at a better time. Probably when we talk about the Stasi. I'm sure I missed other details besides these, but these are the ones that stand out in my mind. Now for some shout outs. Special thanks to Alex from History Impossible, Christophe Sanderson from the Eastern Border podcast, who by the way, we're going to have a, he's going to be on Secret Police in an episode that drops, I think maybe in a couple weeks here. Uh, Roberto Toro from History of Socket Velo Georgia podcast, Greg Zink from Smoke-Filled Rooms, aka Magenta Pills podcast, Josh, Rashan, and Greg from the Steam Gentleman podcast, Don Brody from the History I'd Like to Fuck podcast. Yes, that is what it's called. Uh, Dan, KT, and Liam from the Danger Close podcast. They're all great podcasters that have really helped me get my show off the ground, Thank you. I honestly couldn't have done this without you guys. Another special thanks to Agent J. Baumanis, Breezy, and Litvin for their support. And thank you to all who have tuned in, been supportive, sent me messages on Instagram or emails with kind words, thoughts, suggestions. Keep them coming. I love to hear from people. I started this show in April 2022. The first episode got 90 downloads in about a month, which at that time was incredible to me because my previous show got About 160 downloads on one episode in about a three-month time period, so my gut told me I was onto something with Secret Police. The interest this has generated is insane. Hundreds of people tuning in from literally every continent except Antarctica. But let's change that. I'm pretty sure Emperor Penguins have Secret Police. So what are my key takeaways from all this? I think, one, the Russian secret police have employed some insane violence in the name of the state and in the name of a flawed ideology. We should try to remember the victims who were fed alive to bears, frozen in pits, stuffed naked with others into cramped prison cells, blown up, shot, burned, buried alive, cannibalized, coerced, threatened, intimidated, etc. And the list goes on. Incredible pain can be afflicted in the name of the government, and there are some sick people who've existed that thrived doing this kind of work. Unfortunately, that has not changed. Number two, I think for most people it's pretty easy to imagine the leader or politician they disagree with as a dictator. We don't spend nearly enough time pondering the possibility of our own side becoming authoritarian. They may do some good stuff at first, like reduce inflation, reduce crime, and help the average person get back to work, but nobody, nobody is immune from absolute power corrupting absolutely. They might convince the public that starting a war is a good idea and draft you, your brothers and sons into a perpetual conflict that accomplishes nothing but enriches themselves and their friends while needlessly sapping the nation of lives imagine they've run out of groups to persecute and come for your community. Imagine they try to tell you how to live, who to worship, what is acceptable by the government. Just ponder the idea. Nobody's going to judge you or doubt your convictions because it's in the privacy of your own mind. Let me tell you a story. I remember when Obama was running for president, and as a brown guy, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't excited by this prospect, especially in the United States. It was February 2008. Some high school peers and I decided to skip school to go to an Obama campaign rally at Key Arena in Seattle. The place was packed. We even tried to get onto the main floor close to the stage, but they were at capacity. We found our seats. Obama appeared on stage and the entire crowd stood, I was mesmerized. I could see him, a black guy with a real shot at becoming the president of the United States, unthinkable even 10 years before. Through his entire speech, probably 99% of the crowd remained standing. The 1% not standing were either old or otherwise unable. I'm pretty sure most people stand during political rallies, at least that's my observation, even if you're often the nosebleed section. It's a way to show respect to the speaker, but it's also the most innocuous form of mass mesmerization. A mob transfixed in awe at one person, wide-eyed, ready to suck down whatever bullshit they have to offer. In hindsight, my behavior and the behavior of the crowd at that rally was weird, unnatural. With politicians, we should meet them with arms crossed, demanding they give us pretty damn good reasons why they should have our vote. Obviously, Obama didn't become a dictator, contrary to what some people believed at the time. I have a good friend who... Had a shirt with Obama's little O shaped symbol uh, on it with a hammer and sickle over it that said Obamunism. And yeah, guys, America is a communist hellscape now. Obama took away banking institutions, put up statues of himself, and held office for more than two terms. And every day we say the Pledge of Allegiance while looking at our government issued portrait of Comrade Barry in our homes. <laughs> The point is, we need to avoid a secret police force. They are the inevitable result of dictatorship. No matter if you agree or disagree with the leader's policies and ideas, if they hold a blank check, there is a danger and a risk that secret police will form sometime in the future. We need to avoid mass mesmerization. The worst thing we can do is consent to one person doing whatever they want, because That is a surefire way to wake up one night and watch your neighbor's house be raided by the secret police because they didn't worship God the right way, said the wrong thing, wore the wrong piece of clothing, made a personal choice, criticized the government, or whatever. I'd like to avoid that reality. Don't let some jerk-off politician or party member sell you on their infallibility. The only person that knows best for you is you. I started the show at a time when I think it was and has been the cool thing to do to take the piss out of Russia. Moving on to other countries is where people might get riled up, especially with such an unsavory topic like secret police. Look, nobody likes their country's dirtiest laundry aired out. And don't worry, we will get to the United States too. How could I possibly not talk about Hoover's FBI or the Mississippi State Sovereignty Commission? As we explore more secret police, what I can do is make sure I'm not propagandizing present multiple perspectives, and approach your country and your people with the respect you deserve. And I can be available for feedback. If you think I got something wrong or was unfair, tell me. I'm not a dictator. A podcast is supposed to be a collaborative between creator and audience. There will be no um, uh, nice men knocking at your door at 2 a.m. just because you disagree with me. I hope to make more international friends and (laughs) that I can come visit your beautiful country without getting my ass beat the second I leave customs. I'd like to think I'm capable of separating a people and a culture from their government. So let's get to the real reason why we are here. What is happening next with this show? I'm taking a little bit of a break from the core content and moving on to YouTube to make videos for each of the Russia episodes. My goal is for the videos to be no more than 20 minutes, full of memes, history, and my weird sense of humor. Each podcast episode is already posted there. Then for Patreon, I'm planning to do a mini series that I am calling Red, White, and Brutal about my experience in the Minneapolis riots of 2020, and post pictures that I took of the damage in the aftermath. Now, speaking of Patreon, all this stuff takes time. Everything I've done, you know, recording 18 hours of content is no uh, easy feat. And I'd love to do this full time. But for now, I just need to be able to pay for hosting the show and maybe update my equipment. So for Patreon, I have only one tier for a dollar for general support the mini series, which, mind you, is not up yet, and then uh, whenever we get enough people voting on next episodes for core content. Any new perks that are added to Patreon will still go on that one tier for $1. This is the one time I'm going to ask this because everybody e-begs, so I'm not going to do that, but the Patreon link will always be shown or always be available in the show notes. So please consider becoming an agent of the secret police. And now for the big reveal. Where are we going next? I am honestly going to miss talking about Russia. But for where we are going, we won't need our winter coats. In fact, I recommend shorts and a t-shirt. This place is probably the opposite of Russia. Russia is over 600 times larger than this place. It's nearly surrounded by ocean. They speak Creole and French. It's the poorest country in the northern hemisphere. We are going to Haiti. From 1959 to 1986, the national security volunteers served as the paramilitary and secret police of Haitian dictator Francois Duvier, better known as Papadoc. The secret police went by a less formal name that struck fear in their prey, the Tonton Makut, named after a mythological voodoo creature called Uncle Gunny Sack a croppus like figure who kidnaps children to feast on their flesh. This one will get weird. We'll discuss Haitian history, voodoo, the slave trade, and slave rebellion. The Rise of Papa Doc and the Monstrous Secret Police. Agents Dismissed. <laughs>